2: You know, some companies may do a donate a tree if you buy a t-shirt. That's not really my model. That's still a charity. And I don't think that gives people the dignity that they deserve. Coming from welfare and poverty, uh, I certainly wanted to earn my own income. And uh, when people dropped off the Christmas hamper and drove away, that really wasn't my thing.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Breaking Beauty. The podcast all about the best-selling beauty products and the damn good stories behind them. We're your hosts, Carlene Higgins and Jill Dunn. Support for Breaking Beauty comes from Brita, Canada.
0: So Carlene, pretty much my favorite thing is the notion of spring cleaning. Starting fresh, cutting the clutter, going all
1: minimal yeah right we recorded in your apartment I could barely sit down hashtag product junkie oh I'm so busted at least I've read that Marie Kondo book hey I said the notion yeah yeah well good thing you got hooked up with Brita Filter for Good water bottles. Just one Brita bottle filter can replace up to 300 plastic water bottles.
0: Touche, otherwise I'd be tripping on my recycling. I love that the Brita Filter for Good campaign, including pitchers and filters and a limited edition
1: me Too we statement bottle, not only cuts down on clutter but also makes a difference in other parts of the world. Totally! More than 23,000 people in Kenya have clean water thanks to this initiative. So, get your spring cleaning started without lifting a finger. Visit
0: Britta.ca slash impact to see where your purchase has made a difference.
1: Hello, friend. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be working on our third podcast episode today. It's great to be back in the studio. And today, we are talking about a line of all-natural, ethically-sourced perfumes called The Seven Virtues. Yes, created by our good friend, Barb Stegman.
0: She's Mm -hmm. a fellow Maritimer. Go, Barb! She calls herself the Philosopher Queen, and she's even self-published a book by that very name. She often extols the wisdom of philosophers like Socrates and Marcus Aurelius. Her seven (laughs) virtues uh, that she defines are wisdom, truth, wonder, beauty, moderation, courage, and justice. And mm-hmm. it's like a pledge. It's the way she lives her whole entire life and
1: the way she conducts her business. She doesn't believe in charity. It's about social entrepreneurship. And I think for some of us, we you might need to get out of a tissue yes. for today's episode, because um, we certainly needed them when we went and saw the documentary, Yeah, all about how it got started. It's called Perfume War, and it is touring around Canada as we speak. Um, the backstory story is that Barb's best friend, um, Captain Trevor Green,
0: he was on a tour of duty in Afghanistan, so we know that this was a war-torn region, mm-hmm. probably the most dangerous region in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. He was in the midst of a peaceful meeting with community la- leaders trying to build infrastructure, trying mm-hmm. to make the... Clean water. Yeah, trying to really just get these people back on their feet and out mm-hmm. from under the oppression of the Taliban. Mm-hmm. And out of nowhere, he was attacked by a teenager who was coerced by the Taliban, and he actually had an axe put through his head. It's chilling. And it is it is just the most gruesome act. Mm-hmm. Um, it is an act of war, mm-hmm. and yet, he, against all odds, Captain Trevor Green survived. Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing short of a miracle. Really and truly. He is a Canadian hero. Mm-hmm. Um and somehow this incident translated into a line of perfume yeah. and a powerful one, yeah. you know, one that actually makes a difference in people's lives. And what happened was nearly two years after the incident, uh, Barb Stegman was reading about a farmer named Abdullah Arsala, and he had been growing a lot uh, organic neroli oil in Eastern Afghanistan. So predominantly what people in that region were growing was illegal poppy crops, which were controlled by the Taliban. And he was, you know, doing his own thing, not having any part of that when the Taliban came and knocked over the distillery. yes. And Barb read about that and she was like, you know, I've had enough. And I think the way she explains it in the documentary too, she felt a, a kinship and really felt like, you know, regardless of where they were in Mm -hmm. the world, Mm -hmm. that there was a connection there. Absolutely. So
0: sight unseen, she Mm -hmm. gets out her Visa card. Mm -hmm. It goes to this Canadian government agency, buys this um, $10,000 worth of Mm -hmm. oil from this farmer she's never met Mm -hmm. and has never met to this day. And Mm -hmm. right there, Seven Virtues Fragrances was born. Zing, what am I going to do with it? Yeah. Perfume. So shortly after that, she was picked up by the Bay in 2010. Mm -hmm. And she has just continued to grow it from there. She now sources patchouli from Rwanda. Mm -hmm. She sources Jasmine from India, vetiver from Haiti. She's caught the eye of the
1: Clinton Foundation. And she is just a true powerhouse. She also has become a motivational speaker. She talks to big companies and universities because she is so inspiring. And she actually, in that way, reminds me of Anita Roddick. That's right. Who was the original founder of The Body Shop. Um, Unfortunately, she passed away about 10 years ago, but I did have the privilege. Coolest lady ever. Yeah. I had the privilege of interviewing her when I was a wee journalist mm-hmm. and, um, she was, she just floored me. Mm-hmm. Um, one of her most famous quotes was, I see what the cosmetic industry is doing and I run the other way.
0: Yeah. Another I think she might've used some more colorful language. Even. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> another, another great one. If you think you're too small to make a difference, you've never been to bed with a mosquito. Yeah. Um, and I, that's Barb too. Yeah. They, and, I, the, they and they, share they that.
0: the thing that they share also is not a charity. They make their Idea exactly. into a commercial success. Exactly. And that's what makes Barb stand out so much, too. Mm-hmm. And it's to the point where she's caught the eye of Sephora now. You're going to yeah. hear more about that. Mm-hmm. And you guys go way back, too, you yeah. and Barb.
1: Yeah, we do. So I also interviewed Barb when she first started this line. And when I met her again, face to face, it was just like time hadn't passed. And it was really like we picked up just where we left off.
2: I'm Barb Stegman, and I'm the founder of The Seven Virtues, uh, and I'm from Halifax, Nova Scotia. So, Carly, when you interviewed me, you were the first magazine interview ever. I think I had one stick of fragrance. Well, you took a chance on it, right? Back then, people in a big magazine, like Flair, they're not going to really, you're nobody. You really don't have any history. But you did. You believed in it. Do you know that you're also your magazine, your first taking a chance on me, is pretty much what landed the bay? I cold called the Bay, and I mean 1-800-COLD-CALL. And it's tough to get into the big stores when you've got one stick of fragrance out of your garage in Nova Scotia, <laughs> kind of, on your Visa card. And uh, anyway, I left a voicemail uh, for the fragrance by Heather Josie, and I said, uh, I'm Barb Stegman of the Seven Virtues. My uh, Oh, Fleur Magazine called us one of their top favorite Canadian things, and my number's 902, blah, blah, blah. She called me back in 10 minutes, and I thought I nailed the cold call. She actually said, I never heard a word you said. I heard 902. I'm from Nova Scotia. Let's go. I grew up in Nova Scotia, and we we moved there from Montreal when I was eight uh, because of the we have you no know, vote in Quebec. My dad was uncertain. Everybody was leaving. Everybody came to Toronto except for us. <laughs> we drove to Nova Scotia. My mom was from Cape Breton, so that's where my dad decided we'd go, and uh My, we lost everything. My dad made a business venture and it didn't work. And that happens, right? 80% of startups don't make it and and families suffer. But you know, you got to follow your dreams. And so as a result, uh, we lived uh, on welfare. My dad left and it was pretty tough. But You know, I know you watched the documentary and could see some of the tough parts, but there's good parts too. You know, farmers and neighbors who take you in and people were kind to us and fed us and and we had great mentors. People believed in us. And you can either decide that, oh, this is awful and become narcissistic and do the victim chic thing, which everyone seems to do now. Uh, Or you can say, hey, this was brought to me for a reason. And I used to ask God, why just send me to a place where the mice chew my blankets and now when I'm sitting in a home in Haiti or Rwanda, I go, thank you, God, I get it. I've got empathy. I know what it feels like. I mean, we, we showed up when I was eight, and I asked, when can I leave? And then I grew to love the place. But the first shocker for me, coming from suburban Montreal with your pool and your swimming lessons, and now you're being thrown off a wharf into jellyfish, it's a bit of a contrast. But it was good for me. I, I think in the end, you know, maybe I needed to, to sort of be humbled. I don't know. I think it was good for me and my sister uh, in some ways. Many of us from a small town can relate to this.
1: You've got your head in the books, but one foot out the door. For Barb's, that was King's College. She had her sights set on higher education and she was studying philosophy, but also journalism and uh, social work. She was already compelled to help people.
0: And that's where she met her best friend, Trevor Green. She describes him like a brother. It was never a boyfriend-girlfriend thing, even though he was this hot senior mm-hmm. rugby star and she was a freshman. But he really gave her her wings. She was bullied in high school and he respected her mm-hmm. and just really helped her. her ideas. Yeah, really helped mm-hmm. her blossom into um, the social activist she is.
1: hmm After graduation, they both ended up moving to British Columbia and starting their own lives. Um, Barb got married. She did split from her husband, had two kids. And when the youngest was only five months old, she started her own PR agency. That's impressive. As a mother of two myself, I can say that would be really tough to do.
0: Yeah. And in the meantime, Trevor was a member of the Canadian forces, but he's also a successful journalist. He wrote a book called Bad Date about Vancouver's missing women um, in
1: the sex trade. And then in 2006, he was uh, deployed to Afghanistan. And, of course, it was then that the unthinkable happened. So we asked Barb, when she got the news, what was going through her mind?
2: You know, I'd met Trevor. He was one of the first people I met at King's. And uh, so we go way back. And I remember a friend called and said to my ex-husband, you know, go, go tell Barb to we had no TV then we still didn't have cable but back then it was a bigger deal not to have TV and I went down to the computer and looked at the CBC news and it showed him on a stretcher and it said uh, uh, Trevor Green um, axed in the head and I just thought this is a different Trevor Green and then I sat there for what was probably hours like I don't know time stand still and a girlfriend of ours from university who studied journalism with Trevor Uh, Called and said, Babsie, are you okay? And then I was like, oh, my God, it is him. And she said, yeah. So we immediately knew that um, he might not make it through the night, so we're ready to go take care of his fiancée then, fiancée Debbie, and maybe fend off the media, being journalists, we could do that. And uh, he made it through the night. And then we went on this long, wonderful healing journey that we're still on. I went to CEDA, the Canadian International Development Agency. I'd read about Abdullah, the same people that attacked my best friend were knocking over his distillery. Uh, I flew to Ottawa and said, help me find him. And they knew the NGO that had done the study that proved if you paid $10,000 for a liter of rose oil, you could get the farmers off the illegal poppy. They connected me with Abdullah. I bought what little oil he had and we started. And so that's kind of my message to people is you know if we're really going to end war and empower farmers, you don't have to go to war-torn nations. You don't have to live dangerously. The danger is really just on your visa card, and hopefully you make your business work. Abdullah and I have never met, yet I feel like we have, only because we've had so many exchanges. I mean, I remember the day, a year into our journey, I thought, oh, God, it's you know, I know it's sort of a gray area. You don't know who's who in Afghanistan because there's so many tribal differences, and I'm trying to respect the politics, and... I thought, well, it's time I tell Abdullah why I'm obsessed with him. My best friend was asked in the head by the Taliban. I had no idea how he would feel about that. And then he wrote me back, and he said, please Google Abdul Haq, who was his mentor. And he was the man that could have saved Afghanistan it's in books christina Lamb, who co-wrote i am malala who was interviewed in our documentary dedicated her book the sewing circles of harat to abdul haq he's such a great man and uh, the taliban killed him and so i told abdullah no abdul haq lives on we are all going to carry his mission and it was just a very bonding experience for us to realize that both abdullah and i are obsessed with this alternative method very art of war take what your enemy loves most so don't have to fight the Taliban, take the loyalty of the people, give them good jobs, honor their faith. It goes against Islamic law to grow the illegal poppy. You know they don't. There's over a million people suffering from heroin addiction in Afghanistan. So you know creating solutions creates loyalty of the people rather than oppression. And so um, you know that's how we bonded. And and I think in this global wired world, you can do business with someone anywhere. Uh, But it's cute because now he's on my Facebook, or has been for years, and all of my friends have become Abdullah's friends, and there's this whole network, and we've, oh, so many articles he's gotten from around the world because of our Facebook friends. So we're really um, retail activists. We are, you know, flexing our buying power to make change, but we're also telling positive stories. I think it's really important because I think destruction is really boring. I think it's unimaginative. I think it takes no imagination, and I don't want to pay attention to it.
1: As Barb's company is growing, she is not paying herself. She, of course, is so selfless. She's out there volunteering.
0: And this funny thing happened, as Barb would say, when she was open. Mm -hmm. She was in Haiti, Haiti after Hurricane Matthew. She met someone who knew of this little program called Sephora Stands, which launched
1: last year. So the purpose of this program is to support female entrepreneurs who are out there doing good things. And what they do is it's actually an Accelerate program. It's been recognized by Forbes, and it's a boot camp. So they fly you to San Francisco. You live in a mansion for a week. How amazing is that? And they give you a mentor who sizes up your business, your own self. They get makeovers from top makeup artists Mm -hmm. and, um, the mentorship continues, you know, by phone for six months. So it's pretty, it's pretty all-star. Yeah. And you have to
0: be hand selected by Sephora. Mm -hmm. You have to meet their criteria. Mm -hmm. There's only 10 women picked each and every year, three of which are Canadian Yeah, and not always Canadian, but this year there are three Canadians. That's amazing. And I think what, the more powerful messages here is that they're creating this network of, of yeah. women in beauty business because there's only, I think, a very small percentage, less than 5% of beauty CEOs are women. Yeah. So I think Sephora recognizes the power of sort of supporting them. Mm-hmm. And they they do everything. They fine-tune the packaging. They fine-tune mm-hmm. the formulas for her fragrances, mm-hmm. um, personal presentations, Instagrams, all of that stuff. And in six months' time, they'll check in with them. And right before we, the day
1: or the day that we interviewed Barb, she was basically the next day getting on a flight to go to this boot camp. She was so excited. And I kept saying, like, where is the camera? Because I (laughs) certainly wish this was a reality show. Yeah. You know, a bunch of women in a mansion who are not wearing slutty tops and, like, throwing slags at each other. I mean, I just think it would be so refreshing to have a positive spin but still be, you know, in a mansion and, and doing fun stuff. In California. So we asked Barb why she was excited to be a part of it.
2: So I've felt alone. It's not like I could go to a business group and find other females that are social entrepreneurs in the beauty industry. So they want to really strengthen them. To have other women who are living the same life as me, oh my God, I, I just am so excited. And to be able to count on them and, and support them, and um, it feels really good no, to know that I'm not going to be alone anymore. The The other part of that is, you know, I've, I've been with my designer sort of going to Shutterstock saying, I like that pattern, you know, and it's been a lot of work, even just to do one like box has been a lot of work. It's not perfect, but, you know, I'd like to take it to excellence.
0: This could be the launch pad to taking the seven virtues global. You can tell when you speak to Barb that her first love is the mission behind the purchase, not necessarily the perfumes themselves, which is unlike a lot of fragrance founders out there. And Barb actually says really funnily that if um, Abdullah was a saffron producer, she'd be the spice lady right now.
1: She also says she gets advice on what notes to put in the fragrance from her 17-year-old daughter. I love that. (laughs) And the thing is, with all natural
0: perfumes, it's a tough grind. Mm-hmm. It's so challenging to formulate them because they have no synthetic ingredients that really are the... the. Total base behind
1: mm-hmm.
0: all-star fragrances like Chanel Number no. Five and and Shalimar.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and you're you were talking about that really good article from T Magazine. Yeah, it was a profile on Mandy Aftel, and she is one of the greats in this small field of organic fragrances. She teaches courses on the topic. And she explains that the notes themselves are much more complex than synthetics. They can actually even be um, aged like a fine wine. That's so cool. But when you remove synthetics from the equation, you are reducing your fragrance library by four-fifths. That's huge.
0: Yeah, it really is. But it can be done well. And just... Last week, Mm -hmm. Gwyneth Paltrow partnered with Douglas Little for her second all-natural fragrance that you can find on Goop. Mm -hmm. Um, And I haven't smelled it yet, but we know she would not put her name behind
1: anything that isn't pretty much perfect. Yeah, you you know it's got to be good. Um, And so we're actually both wearing the Seven Virtues right now. It's Jasmine of India. And um, it's the latest launch in the range. It has no phthalates, no parabens, it's vegan. What do you think of the smell? I really really like it. I think if you
0: Mm -hmm. love jasmine, you will like it. In the morning when you put it on, it can be a little bit intense. Mm -hmm. But as the day wore on, I liked it more and more. It got softer and Mm -hmm. really kind of melted in with your skin, Mm -hmm. which is a trait I really love about essential oil-based fragrances. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I noticed the softening. I have to say this one's not for me. I, I just found it too strong. But um, I really enjoy the Afghanistan Orange Blossom. That's the first one from the range, and yeah, it's just like a softer. Back it's more to your ma- love of neroli oil. I know. <laughs>
0: but what can I? What I can say is Barb is that, or what I can say about Barb is that she considers them all now to be in their beta format, and she's really open to improving the fragrances. Mm-hmm. And I think she's working with a new perfumer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Sephora is going to weigh in and have their say. So it's going to be really interesting to smell them in about a year's time
1: when she has all of these new insights. Yeah. Well, just for fun, we decided to quiz Barb and ask her what was her relationship with fragrance before she launched the seven virtues?
2: None. All I wanted was that when you smelled the Afghanistan orange blossom, which is where I began, I wanted you to be carried to the joy of Afghanistan, where the kings grew the orange groves long before the Taliban forced people to grow the illegal poppy. I wanted the scent to take you to happiness before they banned women from reading. and I mean women had jobs, they wore suits, it was like go-go boots and all Afghanistan was cool. And then all this oppression. Unbelievable oppression by this extremist group of students that didn't think girls over the age of 10 should read. And I wanted you to smell the joy and happiness, and I think we did We did get that right. So, yeah, I think I just wanted to communicate. I didn't know at the time that scent is the most powerful sense and it's connected to all of your emotions and that we can carry you to a country and bypass all the negative through experiencing the fragrance. So I was looking at more as a... Um, Almost like therapy. It's scent therapy, really. My makeup bag is a Sobeys bag. (laughs) Like, honestly, it is. I don't, it's terrible. You can tell I'm really not from the beauty industry. Like, I'm just not. Switching gears, let's talk Dragon's Den. Yes, please. Um, Barb was the
1: first female from the East Coast to make it. That was major. And, you know, it's hard not to like this brand, to believe in it, um, you'd be kind of a jerk if you didn't, frankly, <laughs> um, because it is such a good cause. But just ahead, you'll hear Barb's first encounter with rejection.
2: Going on Dragon's Den was not a choice. I had to go. I had no money. I was on my Visa card. The banks wouldn't give me a loan, uh, and you know, even though I had a credit perfect credit rating, it's hard. Uh, If you don't fit the cookie cutter mold, I want to buy oils from Afghanistan. I kind of looked at me and you're not even a perfumer, you know, and and kind of you can be judged and that's tough when, you know, all you need is to find a perfumer and a chemist and packaging. It's not really that hard. Um, So, uh, yeah, I had to go in Dragonstone. I was terrified. I was absolutely terrified. It was one of the scariest things I ever did. I had people tell me, don't go on, you know, a mix of people worried I thought, well, I got nothing to lose. And the other thing that's interesting with Dragon's Den is, you know, I knew the chance to tell millions of Canadians that we have to do trade with Nations Rebuilding. I got over my fear. And then it was no longer me. It wasn't my win or my loss. It was a message I had to get across, and I would take whatever happened. Uh, Anytime I check back in my life, anytime I didn't have a sense of purpose or a mission is when I kind of went adrift. And anybody can knock you off your path if you don't have a strong sense of where you're going. So it's important to figure out what that is. And then, you know, even when Kevin O'Leary tried to take it down, he couldn't. Uh, So, you know, the, the dragons cried and three of them wanted to invest. So I think if I didn't have a strong sense of purpose, it would have been easier for him to try to bully me no one can bully you unless you let them back to your power and dignity i wasn't handing it over to kevin o'leary
1: are you a dragon's den fan I,
0: I can't talk i'm over here furiously taking notes for when i get in front of kevin o'leary and just get them to sign on no no questions asked well what's your idea well i really don't have a specific idea mm-hmm. but if i i basically want to come up with like the version of the scrub daddy mm-hmm. for the beauty world <laughs> It's a pipe dream, I know, and they they really don't correlate whatsoever. It's just that the Scrub Daddy, I'm obsessed with it. It got huge success on Shark Tank, and I'm I'm always trying to think about what's the Scrub Daddy of the beauty world?
1: Well, I don't know if that'll beat out my vaginal sheet mask (laughs) idea. I really don't know if that's (laughs) going to get by those censors at CBC or ABC, but... Well, a girl can dream. As Barb would say, they need to be a little bit more open (laughs) and filled with wonder. Exactly. Um, But speaking of her seven virtues, she... uh, It took a lot of courage to go on Dragon's Den. Absolutely. Exactly. And here's another example of using her set of philosophies to make decisions on where her business is going next.
2: What happened was, I'll go back a bit, um... I pay $10,000 for a liter of rose oil and it's very expensive and I buy more than I need. So after a while, it can't be, it can't go into perfume, but it can go into other products uh, because it can become a bit waxy. So it's still good, but it just, it's not good for fragrance. That's very expensive. So especially for a little company. So I started making candles. I made 1400 candles by hand. It was therapeutic. Hand poured Nova Scotia. And uh, they're all, they all sold out actually, which is nice. They were expensive. There's low profit margin. There are a lot of work. They weigh a lot. And at the same time, I got a call from the Clinton Foundation to assist a, a lady who was selling organic castor oil from Haiti. I thought, sure, I'll buy a few gallons. Of course, I had no use for it. But I bought it. because That's what you do when you're present. And you're filled with wonder, right? Open, fully open. Um, and I was sitting in the garage making some candles. And I was looking at the castor oil. And I was looking at the candles. And I thought, wait a sec. Lipstick, I think 60% of a lipstick is castor oil and there's waxes. And I went, wait a sec, what if I got sustainable candelilla wax from Mexico, shea butter from Ghana, my rose oil from Afghanistan that I need to use up, and her castor oil? I started experimenting. I got uh, a little lipstick mold and I made them all by hand and I was working on the colors. Then I got the nicer lipstick machine and now it's actually a real machine. We hand pour them all and you can see the Baroque pattern from the book, The Thesis Remains. And I named them all you know, I'm, I'm fierce about women and, and supporting women and making sure that, you know, the stronger you are, the stronger I am. So my first lipstick was, this one's sliding off. I've got a better one. So that's not the way they'll be. But um, suffragette red. So uh, when, when women were told, you know, you're not allowed to vote in New York. And, you know, lipstick is garish. How dare you? The women donned red lipstick and said, yeah, watch this. And I thought, ah, suffragette red and so there were girls down at the uh, march in washington wearing our suffragette red posting their photos i was like yeah so that was suffragette red then we did um philosopher queen of course which is like a nice mauve then we did uh femme stoic so instead of femme fatale you know the woman's going to take your husband that makes you anxious she can go to hell and i'm not going to encourage it femme stoic is a stoic woman that is not going to be rattled that knows where she's going and she's going to be rational regardless there you go frig you femme fidel <laughs> 1918 because we got the vote in 1918 and on the little wrap inside is all the story of why they were named that then oh peace warrior because um that's what we are we're peace warriors And that's kind of a nude lipstick some people call it kim kardashian because it's nude i you know they can call it whatever they want but it's peace warrior to me
0: We were lucky enough to get the sneak peek on the lipsticks, but when we followed up with Barb on the launch date, we are a little ahead of the game because they won't be officially released until the next International Women's Day, March
1: 2018. So stay tuned. I'm telling you, I swiped these earlier. They stayed on all day. I had three of them on my hand. The nude... The red and the there's like a burgundy brownish shade. It's very 90s. They're so fashion forward. It was like I could have had NARS on my hand.
0: Yeah, and they're vegan lipsticks. And she put a lot of effort into the packaging, too. These Baroque details, mm-hmm. f- um, floral stamp, very, mm-hmm. very high end. And so, what we just heard, you get a sense of Barb's fierce feminism. Mm-hmm. I love how she nailed those lipstick names. Mm-hmm. Suffragette Red. I know. Epic. Like, why was that not already out there in the lexicon? It's crazy. And it's about women supporting women in business, which is sadly kind of rare. Mm
1: -hmm. We're about to hear another example of that. So a teachable moment.
2: I got a call one day from the Moncton Bay store. It was one of our top stores in Atlantic Canada, and they were closing down. That happens sometimes. And uh, they called and said, uh, the manager called. And said, uh, you know, we're, we're closing down and we see that you're opening for Aaron Brockovich as a keynote speaker in Moncton. Would Could we all come to the event? We're going to network and maybe find jobs. So I called the manager back. And uh, she was like, the manager of the Moncton store, Patricia Guittard And I said, Patricia Guittard, do you want to go out in a blaze of glory and sell fragrance at my talk? I'd been selling it at my talks. I thought, what if I brought the store? And they sold so many fragrances. They needed like five of them. It was insane. I think they sold $5,000 in fragrance. They had the highest sales across the country. And I got them in for free. And it just felt so good to just, you know, take someone that was feeling in transition. And it's just a natural part of order in life. And to help them connect with, you know, a, a win. And then the positive of, Come network and let's get moving forward instead of, you know, oh, that's too, you know, nothing worse. Oh, it's too bad. I hate that when someone has something going on and the person goes, oh, poor you. It's like, no, come up with something meaningful and exciting or don't say anything, you know. And I think we have to do that for each other. That was, that was really a beautiful moment.
0: And for people who um, maybe don't know what social entrepreneurship is, can you define yeah. that?
2: There's different definitions of it. I mean, there's in my mind, it's not about charity. So you know, some companies may do a donate a tree if you buy a T-shirt. That's it's not really my model. That's still a charity, and I don't think that gives people the dignity that they deserve. Coming from welfare and poverty, uh, I certainly wanted to earn my own income. And uh, when people dropped off the Christmas hamper and drove away. That really wasn't my thing. I think some some social entrepreneurs are creating hybrids, so they have a little bit of both. For me, it's about um, you know sourcing a product, paying you know above market value, uh, and then not only using that product in your sourcing good products for your own products, materials for your products, raw materials for your products, uh, but then having others come and buy from them. Like really create a movement and a cavalry of others to come and positive stories. And, you know, historically in the commercial world, people privately, you know, they don't tell anyone where their source is, you know, they want to protect their suppliers and keep it just for themselves. And so I'm like, I put it on the box. I'm like, you know, Abdullah is my friend. Please buy from him. Social
1: entrepreneurship isn't exactly something that you learn in business school, at least not where I went. So we asked Barb what advice she would give to somebody first starting out in this field and whether she believes that social entrepreneurship could be a growing
2: trend. College kids, they get it. They This is all they want to do. This millennials, that's all they want to do, and I want to encourage it and be um, be there for them. I would tell anyone that, that wants to become a social entrepreneur to um, get a mentor, someone that cares deeply about them, that's networked. Um, you know, take some risks be passionate be willing to work you know be willing to carry the boxes and do the stuff all the time with a smile I mean you're going to have some hard days but if you can't do that then you're not going to make it
1: Thanks for tuning in to Breaking Beauty Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud wherever you get your podcast fixed. And if you're up for it, show your love by writing a review in iTunes.
0: And get behind-the-scenes scoop, as well as our social media handles at breakingbeauty.ca.